So I got a question overnight from uh, Come to Jesus Christ, which is an epically awesome name, very on the nose, gotta love that. Uh, two questions actually came in uh, from uh, Come to Jesus Christ. First one is, do I have to be baptized to have the Holy Spirit in me? Uh, and the second question has to do with evangelism. Let me go ahead and, and speak to that first question first. Uh, depending on what we mean when we say baptism, if we're talking about water baptism, no, you don't actually have to be water baptized to have the Holy Spirit living within you. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only prerequisite for that is belief. As a matter of fact, let me start uh, answering that with a passage in John chapter um John chapter 20, actually, here in verse 22, Jesus is in the upper room in the first meeting with his disciples after the resurrection. That same day in the evening, he shows up uh, in the upper room and he startles them. They are surprised to see him. They aren't even sure it is him. They're confused. As you can read the passage as he appears uh, and and uh, he invites them to give him some food and he eats in front of them. He demonstrates that he's really there. They're not seeing a ghost. But in John chapter 20, verse 22, in this account, we see where Jesus, as it says in verse 22, when he had said this, uh, I guess I'll read verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this would be, uh, I think it's pretty plain to see, this would make the disciples now in the upper room as recipients of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus earlier in John chapter 14. Uh, this now makes them what we would consider New Testament believers. They are indwelt now by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and empower them, but the Holy Spirit would come and go in relationship to people. In the New Testament, uh, we understand that the Holy Spirit actually now indwells believers and actually seals us, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, uh, until the day of redemption. So we are now sealed by, indwelt by, the Holy Spirit as believers until the day that we ultimately stand before him in that. In other words, all the way to the end, there's no departing of the Holy Spirit from the believer in this kind of thing in the New Testament context. It's a very different kind of a relationship, and it's based completely on faith. And so the act of baptism now, which does serve purposes, water baptism, uh, does serve a purpose. It is, in fact, an act of identification uh, with the death and burial and resurrection of Christ uh, as we take the uh, the believer and we, matter of fact, we just did this a couple of weeks ago with a couple of our folks in church. Uh, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it says in Matthew 28. And uh, we put them down in the water, right, bring them back up out of the water. The putting in the water represents the, uh, symbolically represents the idea of the death of the old man or woman, as the case may be. And the coming up out of the water symbolizes a rising to new life. Again, it is a form of outward identification with the person of Christ and his activity in dying and rising again. Um, they did this in the first century. Uh, we see this uh, in places like Acts chapter uh, 8, when Philip is uh, encounters an Ethiopian. He's actually um, commanded by the Holy Spirit to go and overtake this chariot that this Ethiopian uh, is riding on, making his way. And this Ethiopian turns out to be reading from Isaiah 53. And so he asks Philip if he understands what's being said and who this is referring to. Philip explains it to him. The Ethiopian comes to believe, and as they come upon some water, the Ethiopian says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And, uh, and, and, and Philip says, well, if you believe. And he says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he baptizes him right there. And then Philip is ushered off in the spirit to another place, Azotus, I think it was. And so 
Um, but belief is what is necessary first, and then you are baptized in response to that belief. And in that moment that you become a believer, the Holy Spirit, uh, upon your belief, again, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, um, uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit indwells us, again, borrowing from John chapter 14, when Jesus describes the coming uh, relationship of the Holy Spirit with the believer. Um, uh, upon your belief, the Holy Spirit indwells you and even seals you until the day of redemption. And so the Holy Spirit, by definition, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what, by definition, confirms that you are a believer. Uh, anyone who just gets baptized but doesn't necessarily have belief, does not trust in Christ for their salvation, the one who died and rose again, taking their sin, all past, present, and future upon himself, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If they have not come to believe that, then being baptized just makes you wet. But on the other hand, it is not until you are a believer that you would then, in response to that belief, then go and be baptized in identification with Christ. And so, uh, again, the, the simple answer to your question in terms of water baptism is no, you don't have to be water baptized to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Again, we do this as an act of obedience. Jesus said to go do this um, and, and, and such, and we see this practice in the early uh, church and scripture. We also see it in the centuries that followed. This was a practice born in the New Testament. And so, um, but hopefully that helps answer your question there. Now, I would say, uh, just on that note, um, as I was thinking about this, we turn to Romans uh, chapter 8 for just a moment, and just to kind of cap off this idea with sort of the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Uh, in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 14 through 17, something we covered in our verse-by-verse study in Romans a few weeks ago, uh, but Paul says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Uh, If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the idea here is that the Holy Spirit confirms with you, with your spirit, that you are in fact a child of God. And if so, a child, then of course all the benefit that comes with that, both now and then ultimately, uh, finally, when we receive our inheritance uh, in heaven and that kind of thing. So hopefully that helps to settle that issue for you. I just want you to know that if you are in fact a believer, which you do mention here that you are, uh, your question, do I have to be baptized to have the Holy Spirit in me? I'm a believer. Uh, and then you go on to ask the question about evangelism. So if you are a believer, then you, by definition, have the Holy Spirit. He does, in fact, dwell within you. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures tell us that both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, in a very real way, do indwell the believer. Uh, um, Jesus himself would talk about how the Father and he would come and make their home with the believer and this kind of thing. So uh, we, again, just uh, um, uh, by faith, this is... In, in, in entering into this relationship with Christ, believing and receiving the merits of Christ, that which he accomplished for us, taking all of our sin upon himself, uh, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, we belong to him and will belong to him until the very last day when ultimately we experience the fullness of our redemption. So very, very good question, very important question. And uh, as I like to point out, you know, a lot of times when questions come in on our YouTube channel or by email and the various places that questions will come in, a lot of those I like to answer in a, in a post because uh, this is 
a lot of these questions are really strike me as those that probably others are wondering as well. So I'd like to make these, uh, these kind of more broadly answered. So, uh, plus honestly, I'm not as good a writer. Uh, I'm not as comfortable writing. I should say it's good, but I'm not as comfortable writing as I am just talking. So hopefully that helps. Now, the second question that come to Jesus Christ asks, I uh, says, I'm a believer and also, uh, evangelism is very scary. And he just goes on to speak of just the difficulty of, uh, of, of talking to people, strangers at all, much less trying to share the gospel with them. Um, what about the idea of evangelism? Um, I, I would suppose that underlying this is maybe this concern that if you're not out there evangelizing, that somehow you're not doing your job and that kind of thing. Um, I mentioned a second ago, uh, Matthew chapter 28. I'm just going to read. Uh, this is, of course, what is known as the Great Commission. This is Jesus' uh, final recorded words in the Gospel of Matthew to the disciples. Uh, in Luke, it goes a little further and invites them to wait um, in Jerusalem until they're endued with power from on high, which but I guess probably I maybe should throw something in about this uh, regarding that element of the Holy Spirit's work in the believer before we move on to the next question. The Holy Spirit also empowers us for ministry. We see this explained uh, by virtue of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14. I include chapter 13 in there because that's the chapter that regards love and speaks of love and defines love from a biblical standpoint. And it's right, interestingly and, and significantly, right in the heart of the description of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their use. But when you read those chapters, you see examples and expressions of the giftings that the Holy Spirit gives as he wills to those whom he wills uh, and that kind of thing. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, told the disciples, again at the end of Luke's gospel, uh, to wait in Jerusalem until they would be endued with power from on high. This is reiterated again in uh, in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the believers, the 120 in the upper room. And they burst forth from the upper room and begin now to declare the glorious works of God, speaking in various tongues and such. And so there is, of course, then also the not only the sealing and indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer, but there is also, again, what is also uh, referred to often as the second blessing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, a separate thing. It could happen at the same time that you, in fact, are baptized in water uh, as in that identification with Christ. There are those who are baptized in the Spirit in that moment. But it is important, I think, to recognize that these are two different things. We are baptized into the body of Christ, but there is also a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which speaks more to the idea of empowering for ministry. Um, it's just, you know, these aren't uh, things that are going to keep you from heaven if you don't understand them clearly and that kind of thing. But I think it's helpful to understand them as being uh, what they are so that we can sort of piece together this understanding of uh, as fully as we can of the work of the Holy Spirit, both in and also through the believer's life. So that being said, now we take about talk about evangelism here, which, uh, of course, we always want to do under the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we want the Holy Spirit to be present and active in those opportunities and encounters. But what about uh, evangelism and going out with the gospel and such? Well, again, I think our, our call to this really finds uh, uh, its, its firm footing here in what Jesus has to say to the disciples here in the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Or I'll just start in verse 18. 
Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, again, the Great Commission, this idea of going forth with the gospel. But it's interesting here. Jesus does not say, and I'm not going to split hairs or try and force a false dichotomy into this, but notice the language Jesus uses. Go out and make disciples of the nations, not just converts. A disciple is first a convert, but but sometimes we put such emphasis on the conversion that we kind of miss the fact that Jesus actually really put an emphasis on something else, the idea of growing and following Jesus. And so when we share the gospel, the goal is not just that is not just that instantaneous moment of where someone moves from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light, from being lost to being found, um, but also then seeing that as the beginning point to someone growing in their faith. This, I think, in some ways can change our sense of what evangelism really is. Usually when we think of evangelism in the West, here in our uh, in our sort of churched culture, uh, which of course is less so and less so as, as the days go on, but in general, in the, for the past, you know, 150, 200 years, in America and in the West in general, evangelism generally spoke of this idea of gathering large groups of people, circuit riders going to places where hundreds would gather to hear the gospel. Or uh, today, you might see a, a large crusade kind of uh, evangelism. Um, and that generally tends to be what we think of when we think of evangelism, an evangelist going and sharing uh, the gospel with hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And of course, technology like the internet has made it possible to reach lots and lots of people very, very quickly in, in a viral fashion and that kind of thing. But what, what, do we, what is the New Testament idea of evangelism all about? Is it, in fact, large hundreds of people? Well, in the very first evangelistic outreach, if you want to sort of call it that, I'm sort of loosely labeling it that, but when we look at that uh, that Acts chapter 2 event where the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, they burst out of the upper room, they're speaking in tongues of the glorious works of God, and people are hearing this, and then Peter lays out the gospel for them and ultimately calls them to come and to repent, and they believe, and like 3,000 were added to the church that day, and so there's a large influx of people into the body of Christ at that moment, and so we we see a big event like that, but that is pretty much the last time you see something that big happen at one time. Uh, generally speaking, the model throughout the New Testament is people talking to people. Paul would go to the synagogue where there might be 20 or 25 people, uh, and he would reason with them from the scripture. Uh, or Peter would be called to go to Cornelius's house where he and his family come to believe. Um, and, and, and incidentally, in that moment, are baptized by the Holy Spirit as they come to faith. And so, um, but, but it's generally those kinds of things. The idea of, of thousands of people coming to a, a stadium to hear the gospel is something that is uh, a much more modern conception of what evangelism is. Most evangelism really does take place with you talking to the person in the next cubicle at work, you know, uh, or going out to lunch with a friend or someone you know, that in your family has been watching the change that has happened in your life because of your relationship with Jesus. And they're interested in this. They want to understand it and maybe even come to believe. And so you talk about your faith with them. 
Um, sometimes, and, and there are people that are really gifted with this. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm similar to you in some ways uh, uh, in regard to just talking to strangers and walking up sort of cold calling with the gospel. Um, I, I, that's not a strong point for me. I, I, for years, prayed that it would be because I had friends that just were wonderful with that. They could walk up to, matter of fact, a buddy of mine and I used to go to arcades and uh, um, he would just find some group of kids and he would just start sharing the gospel with them. And invariably, somebody or some group of them would come to know Jesus. And then he would give away one of my Bibles and I would always have to go get a new one. So, uh, but those were good times. And I always looked at that and thought, man, I wish... I wish I had that, and I would try it. And I would talk to someone, a total stranger. We used to go to the uh, out in public and, and go try and share the gospel, and I just never got a response to it. But on the other hand, there were other situations where I had conversations with somebody, and and something would open up, and and I'd have a chance to pray with them. It hasn't happened a lot in my ministry or in my Christian life where I've just led people to to Christ like clockwork or something. But there have been some. So I guess uh, you know, on the one hand. I totally get your uh, concern about just talking to a, someone about the gospel sort of cold. But I would encourage you to try it. You never know. You may find that someone you, you're sitting next to on a bench somewhere waiting for a, a, an Uber or something, and all of a sudden you find a conversation startup, or maybe the Uber driver. Um, you just never know. God may bless that. Or they may just say, no, thanks, I'm not interested. And hey, just move on. But um, but a lot of evangelism, again, comes through the the time spent with somebody where they've seen your life, maybe they even knew you before and now they see you as a believer uh, and you begin to share your faith as, as the interest in them becomes apparent and they maybe even ask about it and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, one last point on that is that no one's salvation rests on your shoulders. Uh, no one goes to heaven or hell simply because of your interaction or non-interaction with them. The Lord is working on somebody. We plant, we water. Maybe someone else started sharing the gospel with them and they had a question for you and you answered it and then they moved on. But it's always the Lord that gives the increase. Our job is just simply to go and when the opportunities arise, uh, to take the opportunity when we can. Um, but the pressure should not be all on your shoulders. Like if you don't, uh, that somehow something, you know, this person's not going to know Jesus now or something. No, that's really on the Lord's shoulders. But, but he invites us to get involved. It's an opportunity and a privilege. Uh, and it may very well be that um, again, this privilege and opportunity presents itself in the way that you share your faith with a friend or somebody that, um, again, that has observed you for some time and comes and asks you about it and gives you that opportunity. I would say don't, uh, you know, don't, don't shy away from an opportunity if it obviously presents itself because that's the Holy Spirit working and giving you that opportunity. Um, but, you know, I, I get the trepidation and fear. It's, 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 a, it's an odd feeling to just walk up to a stranger and do that. So, um, so, you know, for what it's worth, that's just my two cents on it. Um, uh, rooted in scripture, I think. Um, but, um, but I just hopefully kind of ease your concerns or maybe your self-condemnation if that's what you're experiencing and that kind of thing. So, all right. Well, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And uh, we're going to go ahead and continue to keep on posting and answering questions as they come in and continue through our verse-by-verse -verse studies and, and talk about the various other topics that we do. So, but thanks for watching and listening today. And, uh, and until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. Father, we do ask these things and uh, pray that, Lord, you would help us to um, experience the Holy Spirit's work in and through our lives. 
You know, whether it's just through the daily growth and sense of assurance of knowing that your uh, that your spirit dwells within us, or whether it's through the opportunities to share our faith when they come up. But we do pray that, Lord, you would help us to trust and lean on the Holy Spirit, to rely upon him and never trust in the flesh, but also to be willing to take a step of faith when it comes out, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit just lays it out before us. And Father, even on top of that, if you would uh, see fit, if the Holy Spirit would see fit to gift us with various giftings that we might serve you in the ways that you desire for us, we want to be open to that and receive those giftings. So we thank you, Lord, and praise you for your word and how you explain these things to us. And we pray that, Lord, we'd walk in your word and in, in the knowledge of these things, that we might bring you glory, that we might make Jesus' name known uh, throughout the world, and that we might, of course, again, do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that he seals us and that we know one day, because he seals us, because of the finished work of Christ and because of your great love for us, one day when we breathe our last here, we'll stand in your presence, unafraid and unashamed, and be just in your presence worshiping and spending eternity with you. So we love you and thank you for this and the great hope that it brings us. Help us to be willing to let others know about that great hope as well. In Jesus' name, amen.